Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. And I am so excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, we're going to learn so many things from her. She's a very, very experienced marketing thought leader. And when I say experienced, she is a career B2B marketer. And she's worked with all the different sizes and shapes of companies from the Fortune 100 with the large budgets and staff all the way to startups and those small companies trying to find their place in the world. Very excited to introduce her. She's the chief marketing officer at Sitecore, Paige O'Neill. How are you? Hey, I'm absolutely fabulous. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Very excited. Yes, I know. And we're ready to smash some things. So the, the, the theme for today, it's our marketing leadership series, learning from senior CMOs about marketing strategy, tactics, technology. And so here it is. I'm going to pass this over to you. It's very heavy. This is Thor's hammer. So Go ahead, take that hammer, and I want you to <laughs> smash for me some kind of bogus marketing strategy or just some misconceptions you're hearing out there that just drive you crazy. Set the record straight once and for all. All right, I hear I'm supposed to hit the table as I do this, so yes. I'm going to do that, and I'm just going to – so I'm going to smash a technology-related myth that I've been, okay. I've been hearing this all over the place recently, and it's just been driving me crazy. So I've got to, I've got to clear the air on this one. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Okay. So there seems to be a myth that artificial intelligence is going to be just this panacea, holy grail, and suddenly AI is going to arrive on the scene and marketers can just kind of kick back, take their shoes off, and we're not going to really have to do the hard work of marketing anymore. And I'm sorry, but it's a myth smash smash it's 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 ai is i think the potential is huge and it's going to be a critical technology for us it's going to make a lot of things that we do a lot easier over time but in order for us to get to the promise that ai holds for marketing we still have to do the hard work if we don't have our data in order what are we aiing if our data is a mess right that is so true. I don't think people think about that, right? I think they think like the Terminator movies, either AI yeah. is going to wipe us all out or AI is just going to go like one of those Disney movies where, you know, Rob yeah. is going to come around and just make our beds for us and cook his breakfast or something. Like people don't realize that. So what, what does it take to even make AI work in the first place? You mentioned data. Being yeah, order. I mean, I, I think I think that's, you know, first and foremost is you've, you've got to have the right data in the right working order. And, you know, a lot of surveys that we've done recently suggest that a, a staggering percentage of marketers either don't trust the data they have or they don't feel like their data is in the right place in the organization for them to be able to leverage it to draw insights. I think it's something like 60% of marketers feel that way. Yeah. So, again, And the rest are lying, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the rest are lying. <laughs> My data's in perfect shape. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Said no one ever. Said yes, no one exactly, ever. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, I just... <laughs> Yeah, and so I, I think that, it, it, and I'm trying to, I also want to make AIing a verb, right? That's a thing, right? We're all going to be AIing. And, and so if, if your data is not in position to be taken advantage of, to, to be able to provide insights, then AI initiatives are going to fail. 
and insights it really it's like pattern matching right now at yeah. this point right it's not like it knows anything it's just looking for hey i noticed on this and this activity like something happened so it can be good if you've got the data a lot of data for it to yeah. crunch through uh, but it's the whole phrase garbage in garbage out right it just exactly exactly so unfortunately we still have a lot of hard work to do to get to the position to be ready for ai yeah. It, you know, it drives me crazy too. Cause I think it's gotten a lot of play in, in the marketing world. Like our fellow yeah. marketers are abusing the hell out of it, the word AI, you know, like, Oh, this app now has AI in it. So buy it. <laughs> don't worry. You don't know anything about optimizing Google ads. It's fine. AI will take care of you. You'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't work. Right. It's like, Hey, let Google just write themselves a blank check for this, uh, for this ad campaign. Like, ah, we should probably learn a little bit more about it before we leave that on the world. So true. Smash that thing. AI is not, so we have to put in the hard work. You mentioned data is important. Yeah. Anything else we've got to be thinking about when it comes to AI and just being ready for it? Well, I think it also all has to start with understanding what are we what are we trying to achieve from a customer experience standpoint, and have we done the hard work? And and I just went through this process at Sitecore on my own marketing team, and so I can attest that it is very hard work to do the customer journey mapping and understand what are our customers trying to accomplish when they interact with us? What are they looking for? What do they want to see from a content perspective, from a, from a customer relationship perspective? And, and I think a lot of times if we haven't done that hard work to understand who those customers are, then we make assumptions that end up being false. And so again, if we're trying to automate and add artificial intelligence to assumptions that are false to begin with, we're not gonna come out on the winning end of that. It's so true that you can make assumptions. We think we're the buyer and, and that might be the case, but it very much might not be the case. Yeah. Like, you know, seeing like an ad on, yeah, the Super Bowl ads and things like that, where you like, <laughs> wow, those people wasted a million dollars. Well, maybe, or maybe you're just not the target audience for who they were trying yeah. to reach out to. What kind of work did you do to prepare? You mentioned you just went through all the hard work to map out that customer journey. I mean, it's so important to do that. And it is work. Yeah. How did you start? Like, what was even the first yeah. someone that hasn't done that yet? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, and this is what Sitecore does for a business. And so for me, when I came into the role, it was super important for me as CMO to have gone through the same process that all of our customers go through. Oh, so and cool. so, yeah. And so we, so we took a big step back, which was difficult to do because, you know, the second I, I've never gone into a company and not had the CEO say to me within probably 24 hours of, of walking through the front door. Oh, by the way, I hate our website. So what are you going to do about that? I just, <laughs> I've never not had that conversation with the CEO. And, and so the clock starts from the second the CEO says that, that you, you kind of in your head as CMO, you're hearing the clock start, right? Yes. And, and so it's very difficult to then go back to the CEO and the rest of the C-suite and say, yeah, agree, we're going to do some different things with our website. But by the way, I want to take six months, eight months, 10 months to develop a digital transformation strategy and really understand what our customers are trying to achieve. And we could have a new website out in three or four months, but if we do all of this work and build the content structure to go with it, it's gonna take 10, 11, 12 months. Difficult conversation to have. Difficult, but important. <laughs> I mean, how, how many times 
And, and I think, it, you know, to be fair, people outside of marketing maybe think that sometimes they don't even know what marketing does. Like you do the t-shirts and the website, right? Like, uh, absolutely. A- <laughs> um, yeah. They're always well, saying, you know, let's just redo the website, you know, and I'm glad you didn't automatically go to that first. You know, it's sometimes yeah. the, the lesser experienced marketer is like, well, not sure what to do. I could learn about my yeah. customers, but that takes hard work. So let me just redesign the website. You know? Well, and I honestly, it's, it comes from experience. I've done that in the past. I've in right. other roles. I, so in the, you know, I think the, the, it was, it's very difficult to go in and say, it's going to take this amount of time. But in, in this case with Sitecore, I, you know, I, I went in and said, look, this is the amount of time it's taking our customers to do this. So certainly you don't expect that we're able to do it any more quickly or with less strategy involved than what our customers are doing. And it was, it was a really powerful conversation to have. And so we're about to go live with all everything that we've done, or at least the first versions of some of the big stuff that we've done in July. And, and it turns out it, it was fine to take that time to do it, right? It's, we've done it right. And it's going to be very powerful, but it starts with that, that journey mapping of really going through how are our customers interacting with us today across our digital channels? What are they trying to do versus what they're actually able to do? At what points are we failing them across the touch points and with the experience? And we actually did a very powerful thing where we, we worked with one of our, our agency partners, which is what most of our customers do. They, they work with an agency partner to do the strategy. And they put together this, it was almost a, a it, we call it the tablecloth. It was a, a huge tapestry of the customer experience that showed the touch points and what customers were asking and what they were seeing and where the bottlenecks were. And we hung that tablecloth, huge, huge tapestry in the office at Sitecore in San Francisco. And it became a gathering point for other members of the C-suite and, and, and of the company to really understand just how big this project was and how important it was from a customer strategy perspective. Oh, wow. What was on that? Was it the whole journey mapped out? It was, yeah, it was. I mean, it's. Wow. I'll send. I'll send you a screenshot of it. it, yeah, it, it, it so, it, it it's it literally a trajectory of different points of the website or digital channels. What customers were trying to do, what questions they were asking, and then a chart that showed kind of the highs and lows of the experience where they weren't getting what they wanted or where they were, and it enabled us to identify personas, identify what actions they were trying to achieve, and then take a step back and say, wait a minute, some of our assumptions were were false here. How are we going to correct this and build an experience and content and a strategy and a technology stack that enables us to meet the objectives that they're trying to achieve? Right. Wow. How big was that? You said it was on the wall. It was huge. I mean, it was, I'm terrible at estimating distances, but I would say it was like, I don't know, 20 by 10. Wow. Huge. Yeah. I love that though, because if you're going to put anything on the wall, yeah. Well, maybe not another motivational photo. Maybe it's actually the journey your customer's going on. Yeah. And then I, I can imagine that the conversations that would start across different channels and talk about alignment, you know, if it's right there on the wall, it's everyone's business now, not just, you know, sales, yeah. marketing, or ops, anyone. Yeah, I knew we were onto something when I, I started seeing our, our chief customer officer bring either other customers or a couple times we, we brought board members over or the CEO would stop by. And it became this gathering spot for not only other C-suite executives, but people that were in visiting or just whomever to try to articulate the process that we were going through. Man, I feel like I need to find a wall, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So tip, tip number one, put it on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I love that. Put it, I mean, yeah. 
it's so simple, but so true. Put it on the wall. Do you, do you revise it? Was it just, was it printed out on paper or what happens if you fixed a particular gap? You know, how do you update that? Well, we, we, so we haven't done that yet. It's mostly, okay. so we're, we're going, we're going to roll out the website in July. And so I think that's a great idea for us to kind of overlay or, or put the next version of here's how we addressed all of these, all of these points that we found along the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Like the next version of, it. I mean, still yeah. be good to keep the old one. Cause then mm -hmm. actually the contrast, you say, look, this is where we started. It's not yep. an overnight process, but you know, we've identified this and this and this, and eventually it just gets so, so good. But it's still a good talking point. I, yeah, I could see why Absolutely. you just want to leave it up. We're going to need a bigger wall for the new one. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger wall. That sounds like a start to many, a good conversation. It does. Bigger wall yeah. here, guys. Um, <laughs> now you mentioned digital transformation. Is that the same thing of what you just did? Because I hear digital transformation a lot these days mm -hmm. and I'm trying to figure out where that even came from. Yeah, well, I don't know where it came. I, I think where it came from is the, the customer basically saying, you know, companies better get their acts together because I expect all my experiences to be like Amazon and Apple and Starbucks, right? True. So I think that it, it, the, the shift to digital has caused this massive disruption that pretty much at this point is across every industry and and i think it's it's moved from probably five years ago or so to customer experience becoming a, a buzz term and a nice to have and now it's it's mission critical if you're not if you're not focused on digital transformation and putting the customer at the center of your business you're probably on the way to going out of business i i i, I that makes sense is is digital transformation everything or is it you know, in, in, in your everything. thought, no. <laughs> just everything like, oh yeah, you're making sure your customer's blood type is on your CRM. That goes, you know, like, is that might be a little creepy. That might be creepy. <laughs> Unless you're a, a hospital. In which case, exactly. Exactly. Idea. Unless you're in healthcare and yeah, it might yeah. even still be creepy. <laughs> it's probably still creepy but, and, and HIPAA and all that. But yeah, we, well, how do you focus your attention on what is a digital transformation? Do you think? Well, and I think it depends on what business you're in. You've got to, I think okay. you've got to kind of start with understanding, you know, what business are you in? What are your customers' expectations of doing business with you? What are you trying to provide for them? And, and so how are you going to craft the experience that's tailored to that, to that top level business strategy? Right. right. And, I, and I think it's, it's, you know, mo most of the companies that I talk to today, they've kind of moved past thinking, all right, well, we have to evolve to digital and make that part of our strategy. They're now saying, no, we have to be a digital first business. The majority of our business is going to come from digital channels as we go forward. And that's a, just a massive shift. You know, it's crazy though, because I kind of feel like the digital transformation that I, I'm aware of was when people stopped relying completely on billboards and magazines and things they couldn't track and started, I don't know, having a website and doing some paid mm -hmm. search and those kind of things. And then there's another transformation to marketing automation and getting some nurturing going. And is digital transformation just kind of cluing in people that haven't made any of those journeys to, to make those or... I think it's, that's all part of it, but I, I think it's more that there's this rec recognition that, you know, I, I, was, I was at a great CMO event in Boston last week, and, and one of the CMOs there um, who works with a, a great brand, a, a TJ Maxx, uh, and she was, just happened to be at this roundtable that I was, that I was uh, moderating, and you know, she said the, the consumer, digital's not a strategy or a tactic, it's what the consumer is. And, and so it's really just that fundamental. The, the, the consumer today expects 
to be able to interact with every brand that they want to interact with on their mobile device, on their computer, in the store, and they expect those, those transactions and those interactions to be seamless and continuous, to pick up right where they left off. Yeah, the seamless and continuous. I mean, how many times do we fill out something somewhere yeah. and then someone asks us the same question? Right. Like, I already told you that. Why are you asking me again? Right. Or you, when you call into the bank and they want your account number and you, if you actually know it, no one does, but they type <laughs> it in and then you get on the phone and they're like, okay, so what's your account number? Like, I just told you that. I told right. them that. Well, and that's back to data silos and AI, right? I mean, how, right. It, you're not going to be able to automate any of those transactions if you don't have your data consolidated and integrated. That, that's a perfect example of, all right, so they've got a, an automated phone system. They're trying to make it easier, reduce the, the call center staff, be able to have consumers punch things in. But they're failing because the, you know, the second you have to repeat that information, it tells you their data is not integrated across their departments. Totally. I once had a bank call me and ask me to validate my account. I was like, don't you know about phishing scams? And it actually turned out to actually be the bank. And wow. I was like, you guys just don't <laughs> randomly call someone out of the blue and say, hey, can, can confirm your account for me. You know, what's your last four and what's your, I'm like, I'm going to tell you, how do I know that you're actually this bank? Like, wow. crazy. Fail. <laughs> Fail, right? So, but to, back to digital transformation, I, I think I'm kind of getting the picture now. It's being more intentional about what's happening. It's not just kind of like trying to play catch up or, or thinking it's just, part of you know it's like a nice buzzword it's like it is what the consumer is now it is your customer is there that's what they're expecting the seamless transition so you need to be intentional about making sure that that's what the experience they're having and and, and it but it could be about playing catch up because i, I think a lot of business yeah. a lot i think it's it's about meeting the consumer where they are and yeah. many businesses are not yet fully digital or, or, or haven't transformed enough of their business to, to be able to meet the consumer where they are. And so those businesses are playing catch up, but it's, it's a mission critical priority for, for pretty much every company I talk to. I can't remember the last time I talked to a company that said, or, or interacted with a CMO or a marketer that said, yeah, no digital transformation, just not something we're thinking about. No, it's, we have to be a digital first business. It's a mission critical strategy that's being driven from the top down or if it's not being driven from the top down, it's marketing desperately trying to figure out how do I get the company's attention around this because we're missing the boat. Right, right. Getting the whole company's attention because it's, it's like all hands on deck for this. It's not yeah. just one siloed department. Absolutely. Makes sense. I love that you said it's meeting the consumer where they're at, meeting the customer, the consumer, the client, whoever you're selling to, where are they at, you know, as opposed right. to where do you think you're at? You know, it's not the emails in the old days saying, check out our brand new website. It's <laughs> like, where are you at? What can we offer you to help you out? Exactly. Love it. I, I know we were chatting earlier and you mentioned that you've got a sales kickoff coming up and it just kind of stirs up for me the questions around marketing and sales alignment and <laughs> what part you play. I mean, you're in marketing. What, yeah. what does the sales kickoff mean to you? And like, you know, tell me about the alignment. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think that's another great marketing myth that I'm sure has been smashed on the show, hopefully many smash times. Away. Before. You still have yeah, right? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think that it, it's, it's absolutely to me a, a myth that, that marketing and sales are, are the struggle to get alignment. 
And I think that, sure, that probably exists in some companies, but not companies that are focused on putting the customer first. And I think it all maps back to digital transformation. Marketing and sales is, it's, it's, a, it's a partnership that has to flow smoothly in order for the company to be successful. And so it's, I mean, I think it's, it's priority number one, two, and three to make sure that you're, you're fully aligned with the sales team. Now, that doesn't mean that marketing becomes an order taker to sales. We've got to be sitting at the table from a strategic standpoint, helping the sales team have, have the right collateral in market, have the right message in market, understand how to best position the product at the right time, understand what our competitors are saying, and, and many of those uh, many of those those important critical functions, as well as the you know kind of the age old you know give me leads, give me leads, give me leads. Right. So it's but it's 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 a partnership, and I think there's a, a a strategic conversation and and agreement that has to exist between the CMO and the and the CRO, in order to to kind of facilitate that that as a well oiled machine. And so the sales kickoff to me means it's an opportunity to, to go in and, and just kind of, you, you should be rechecking that alignment on a, you know, at least a monthly, quarterly, whatever frequency basis. But there's a big recheck that goes on in the prep that leads towards sales kickoff, where you really have the opportunity to stretch across the entire business and say, you know, what big bets are we making for the coming fiscal year? And are we aligned on those? And are we building out the right programs to map to what you're planning in the field? Now, how do we get the field excited about that? And marketing should be a huge part of getting the field excited about what's happening in the coming year. And you get the field excited, they're going to actually utilize the things you spent time creating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if they're not, we're just wasting our time. I don't want to be talking to myself is always one of my favorite expressions, right? If we're just throwing things over the wall and all right, great, Gabe sales that we're done. Well, we're probably talking to ourselves. We've got to go many steps further to make sure that we're delivering the right thing at the right time and that it's being utilized. Right. I think I saw a stat about 70% came out content that goes unused on, you know, you spend all this time either writing it or something and, it never sees the light of day. It just sits there somewhere. And, and it's like, it could be so helpful. Hopefully it's helpful stuff. And, and if sales is stoked about it, they understand that you're, you created this for them. It's going to help that customer. Then they're more likely to bring that up in conversation and, and actually activate it, you know, utilize that information. Absolutely. It's, and I think it's, you know, content is another, it's, it's, a, it's a big topic that we could have a whole show devoted to. It's, it's, it's marketers have got to get out of the, of the hamster wheel of just creating and creating content that no one even looks at. We're not measuring the effectiveness of it. We don't know who's consuming it. And yet we're just off to create more content. It's not efficient. It's not scalable. Boom. You need to drop the mic at that point because that, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. Right. The hamster wheel of content creation. It's yeah. like break free of that. I think it, that was almost like this catch up like overreaction where no one had enough content. And now it's like now we have enough content, but no one's looking at it. It's not even yeah. good content. I once bumped into a uh, large financial firm who was sort of bragging about their content piece. They, they had paid a, an attorney in New York City to like $1,000 an hour to write this white paper and apparently it was like 26 pages long and i had to wonder like what this guy's word per minute was because i'm like that's a great job like I, I'm yeah, a, seriously well, that I was, sounds like 26 white papers not one white paper it sure does but i asked them i was like what what is what pain does this solve for your customer what questions does this address and like all the heads went down in the room and no looking away crickets you know tumbleweed went by in the background and they realized like and they hadn't really approached it that way. They were just trying to 
create something cool spend that budget like oh so they, they, okay. they purpose some of it but it was it was like a real big warning sign not to do that yeah no one's gonna read beyond the first page true yeah. true yeah you kind of break it down and you and simplify it to your point maybe there's a couple pages there that you know each one could be its own special element Although the way that the way that our attention spans are evolving and content is evolving, I think we're going to lose the ability to read relatively soon, maybe in our lifetime. <laughs> what you say? Everything, yeah. I, I, well, I was playing no, Sudoku just, just now, so I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. Do you think it's going that way to the point where? No, I mean, I'm being, I'm being, I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I know that my own personal attention span. I, you know, I, I, if, if it's not consumable. I've got so many different things happening at any given time. I'm looking to scan. I'm looking to, for insights to jump out at me. Yeah. I want to see a graphic. I want to watch a, a quick video. I don't have time to consume, certainly not a 26 page white paper, much less a, you know, a 10 page white paper. Yeah. It's almost like white papers. I don't say it's a dirty word, but it's, it's like this, it's like back in the day when the number of pages was how important your paper was. And now it's like, if, it, if you see 27 on there, you're probably going to just dump it because it's too long anyway. You just don't want to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder about, you know, podcasts these days and, and webinars and entertainment. And I think, you know, even like people listening to this now, either they're, you know, Andy's riding his cycle to work and he's listening yep. to this or, you know, um, Leanne's in her car on the way to work. You know, it's like those commutes where you're, at least for me, I'm a captive audience, you know, yep. I'm doing my driving thing and eventually my Tesla will drive itself. Um, but, uh, but I'm captive audience. I'm, I'm not focused on anything else, but otherwise that book, you know, maybe a book's good for vacation time, but it's, I mean, some people prefer words, but for me, it's, uh, it's a challenge. Agree. I mean, I listen to podcasts on my commute. I take the public transit about an hour to work each way every day. And I, I mostly listen, I listen to music and podcasts. Often I'm in a crowded car and I can't jostle a book, even if I wanted to. So oh, that's it, true. Yeah. yeah. And the people that I see on uh, 93 going into Boston with a book and on their steering wheel, it's like, <laughs> please switch to audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> that's frightening. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Uh, and by the way, there's this really cool podcast you should listen to called Hardcore Marketing. Oh, I've heard about that. I hear that the I hear that the guests on that are just absolutely fantastic. They're fantastic. <laughs> They're so full of knowledge you would not believe. Um, crazy. So I wanted to go back to the the kickoff. So you mentioned um, what an interesting thought. I'd never really considered. It's a great. I mean, it's it's a big deal for sales. Like it's their it's their chance to recalibrate everybody. But it's also can be marketing's chance to recalibrate with sales, knowing absolutely. it's that important to them. Yeah, a absolutely. And I, I think it's um, the, the you've got to take the opportunity. You've got your entire sales team captive, for lack of a better word, and and they're just they're they're hungry for what's going to come next. What's the new thing I can put in my sales bag? What's the new message? How am I going to position this? How am I going to have a breakout year so that I can go to club next year if I'm not able to go this year and how is marketing going to help me achieve my number and and you you really want to take that opportunity from a marketing perspective I think 
to, to partner very closely with your sales peers to, to get them super excited about, wow, there's so much coming out of marketing this year. It's just going to be an amazing year at the company. I'm so happy to be here. And wow, it's, it's really a fantastic set of campaigns and collateral and marketing departments are really rocking it. And wow, Sitecore is amazing or, you know, whatever company I'm at. And that's, I think, a big part of setting up that, that sales psyche to, to approach the coming year. Marketing should have a huge part of that. Yeah. And, and I can see the excitement in sales's face. And as you're describing that, it's like they have a partner in crime, right? They have a, they have a wingman or woman. They've got someone in their corner that, that's given them all these things to help support them. And it's all aligned to the same mission as opposed to some other wonky, you know, oh, I sent leads over. I hope you can convert them. You know, yeah. it's like, good no, luck. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. It's an MQL. You're responsible. <laughs> yeah. Well, another myth that we need to smash is yeah. nobody cares about the MQL. That's, that's the truth. That's not a myth. It's, you know, we've got to, marketers have got to stop touting their MQLs. Tell me about the, that. The rest of the business doesn't care about your MQLs. I'm sorry. You know, I care about MQLs as a CMO and, and I want to make sure we've got a healthy flow of MQLs, but what I care about is marketing sourced pipeline with a dollar value associated with it, how much revenue we closed that was attributable to marketing. And, and we've got to align with sales on that measure. At, at Sitecore, we are measured on revenue and on dollar value attributed to marketing. And it, it just drives a much healthier conversation with our sales peers. It, you know, I just couldn't go into any more companies and have eye rolling amongst the exec team and the CRO in particular when I talk about, wow, we generated 50,000 MQLs last quarter. It was amazing. Yeah, but the conversion rate on them was like 1%. So who cares? Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for those horrible leads. Yeah, exactly. Wow, I wasted, I, I'll never get those years of my life back that I spent on those crappy leads, right? Yeah, and that's that, that, that cyclic complaint cycle where they're saying, marketing, I need more leads. Marketing reduces the quality, gives them more yeah. leads. And they're like, marketing, these leads suck. And then marketing gets you more of them. Like, it's just this, right. you can't play that game. You know, it's like right. a zero sum. You don't win that game. You got to switch to revenue. Yeah, you've got to put it into language that the business cares about. Ooh, I like that. Or you just, you know, you're, you're, as marketing, you're just wasting your time. You're, you're never going to convince the business to care about MQLs. Right. And whether you're perceiving it or not, you're at the eye rolling. Yep. You know, the CEO, he, he's looking at, or she's looking at, they're all looking at revenue. They're not, it doesn't really matter what these, especially when you throw out some term, you know, like you've invented some term. Oh, you know, we've got uh, 30 billion impressions. Okay. <laughs> Does that be my family? Like, what's going on? Um, you know, I actually had this, this thought the other day, too, because I was thinking about MQLs as well. And, and I'm glad you just don't even, I mean, you're right, you care. I look, I, I do measure them. We, you know, my we, I, 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 yeah, it's, right. it's a sign of a healthy flow, top of funnel. Oh, right. That interstitial yeah. metric showing you things are progressing. Uh, but at the same time, in between sales and marketing, marketing is sending over to sales. It's very deceiving because I, I think even the word qualified lead, marketing qualified lead, it's like marketers were saying that we've qualified this. First of all, do we even know what qualified means to sales? And I've had some great chats with BDR uh, managers and, and there's a real work to go into qualifi qualifying a lead. So right. might be at the minimum pre-qualified if we're asking some, some questions that maybe sales has asked us to. 
but it, it's like PQML. It's definitely not qualified. Like how I would not want to stamp my name next to something that I think is the yeah. right fit. Not like, and I think that kind of, that, that gets to that, that misalignment where we're saying this is qualified and it's like not even close to qualified. That hurts our reputation. Totally agree. And it's the fact that you even have to have the difference between a marketing qualified lead and a sales qualified lead, I think underscores that point perfectly. We should just call them leads. That's what they are. They're leads. They're yeah. suspects. Yeah, you're right. And like, oh, the, the percentage from marketing qualified leads to sales qualified leads, you know, it, we, you know, we lose about 30% of the leads. Well, no, and I guess more than that. our, our definite, right. Or more than that, I guess yeah. our definition is not really correct then in terms of what qualified is. Exactly. Well, serious decisions would say, I, I think that a best in class organization, the conversion between MQL and SQL is about, I don't know, 15, 20%. So that, you're losing 80% of them. And that right there is the problem, right? right? If we're sending something over and we're saying it's qualified, then ouch right <laughs> you want right. that to be like a hundred or really close we're like, oh okay we'll tweak we'll tweak the measurement you know yeah. come on people yeah exactly you know when you you when you came into your role at Sitecore, you mentioned how you know there's a lot of different influences you're like oh what are we going to do in this tactic or this tactic and you had this sort of strategic sense to understand what was happening you know, if i would ask you what's your overall approach to marketing what's your overall strategy you know what what is that in and what kind of steps do you take at the very very beginning of that process? Yeah, I, well, I, and I think it's it, it, alignment is a word that I probably you know, I use that word a lot. And I sure. probably overuse it, but I think it's a really important word. And and so when I come into a new role, hopefully you've already learned a great deal during the interview process. I, I try to try to ask a similar set of questions to the people that I'm interviewing on the way in, so that literally you know before I decide I'm going to accept the job, I've got a pretty good sense of what does this company need? What are they expecting the CMO to do? There's a great uh, uh, article, series of articles that the Harvard Business Review did last, sometime last year about the, the reasons that the C CMO fails so often. And wow. it was a great stat that came out of that. It said 80% of CEOs are either unimpressed with or don't trust their CMO. Oh, damn. So like, what? Damn. <laughs> That's crazy. And, and the reason is because there are so many different things or expectations that a CMO could have put on them or different needs that a, that a business has from the CMO, more so than any other role. There, there's just a wide variation in what the CMO could be expected to focus on. And so I, I think it's just critically important from even before deciding you're going to accept the job, you better be really sure that the things the company wants or needs are in your wheelhouse and in your passion house. And so I think it starts during, during that process. And then when you get in, into the company, things will shift subtly. They might not have given you a 100% accurate picture, believe it or not, during the interview. Shocking. Imagine that. Shocking. <laughs> so you've got to kind of reconfirm those, those priorities. And if you're lucky, and you know, I, I don't think I've ever gone through the process that I go through when I go into a company of, of going around and talking to as many people as possible and not had some overwhelming consensus from the internal and external people as to what needs to happen. And so that makes the job a lot easier. If you just listen to what, what those, those audiences are telling you about what the priorities need to be, go through the process to, you know, in, I think in the case of Sitecore, I talked to about 75 employees, partners, customers, industry analysts, et cetera, and, and asked them a common set of questions around, 
you know, what do you see with Sitecore today? What are our differentiators? What do we need to focus on from a marketing perspective? What would you do if you were me coming into this role? And a very clear picture emerges when you do that, that extent of, of interviews and conversations that you can then go back and align with the, the, the CEO, the rest of the C-suite, the board, as you map out your plans. That's amazing. How many of those 75 were, were before being hired? Uh, none, no, none. Okay, but you had yeah. interviews and you were asking yeah. similar questions. So then, yeah, it was a different hired. process once I started. Yeah, got it. Okay, but yeah. but throughout the thing, it's almost like you got in there, and it, what a cool reminder that we're vetting the role just as much as it's vetting us. We're, do I want to work in this company? But also, what what are the expectations of the leadership? Are what are they expecting me to do? And make sure they're in your wheelhouse. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think you, you have to do that. And, you know, I haven't always had the, the, the courage to, to walk away from roles that I, I thought might not be a, a match, but I certainly have it now. I mean, the, this last interview process that I went through, I was very fortunate to, t- I took off about six months, which was life-changing. Love oh, yeah. Everyone should do that anytime they can. And, and I, you know, I, I said no to a half a dozen CMO jobs that I thought, you know what, this just doesn't feel like the right fit. And, at times I thought, wow, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I don't have another job lined up. I'm taking time off. I'm, is this the right thing for me to do? But it, it ended and it resulted in, I think the best possible fit for me from a professional standpoint. And it can be very hard to find the courage to do that because you've got a job and they're offering it to you and you should take it and get started. Right. Look at all this money. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, you're up by the pool, you have another sip of that pina colada. You're like, well, Maybe I'll get the next one. This isn't exactly a good fit. Well, there's that part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Nine, it's 95 ago. degrees here in, uh, in Pleasanton, California today. So 95. Meanwhile, in New Hampshire, we're all snowmen over here. Yeah. Frozen to the ground. <laughs> really? It's still cold there? Nah, I don't know. It's probably, you know, it's fine outside, but okay. right. when in doubt, it's colder here than anywhere else. Yeah, true. <laughs> Except for Canada. So I like that. You know, it's important to do that too. And the 75 that are, you know, or so analysts, employees, you're, you're listening to people. Yeah. So cool that you didn't start by just talking. You no, no, by no. gathering all this data. Yeah. Don't ever do. Uh, yeah. I would, yeah. And I think the, the other thing that it does too is it's pretty powerful to go sit in front of your peers in the C-suite and the board of directors and the rest of the employees and say, Here's what I heard from 75 people that I talked yeah. to all around the world. And the conclusions were pretty uh, 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 universal in a couple of different areas. And so I'd like to build those into our marketing strategies. Any questions? No, I didn't think so. Right. And it's like, here's what I've heard. And it's almost like in those situations, a lot of people know what's wrong. And, and many people can even share it. And it just takes someone to say, I've heard it and we're actually going to do this, you know, as a new role, new person in the company, change is coming and I've listened and the people here, you've experienced these things and we're going to put an end to this and I know how to approach it that way now. That's Absolutely. Really, that's really cool. Well, who are you? <laughs> how did you become this, this oracle of, of marketing knowledge? Like take us back to, you know, little page growing up. Did you know you were going to be in marketing? 
How did, Defin how did, definitely did, not. I, I, you know, I was on a, a, a television, like one of these little kids television shows when I was a little, it's called oh, the, Peggy, wow. the Peggy Mitchell show. <laughs> wow. And, and she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Of course. Um, and which I don't think that lasted. Yeah. I, I love animals and dogs in particular. Um, but no, I, for, for most of my high school career, I wanted to be a writer and then when I got into college, I, uh, I briefly thought I wanted to go uh, into politics and maybe be a lobbyist. Oh, boy. Um, but I did, a, I did an internship uh, uh, at the, uh, the Kentucky uh, State Senate and was very quickly disabused of that notion. It's like, wow, I probably wouldn't do well with all of the craziness that goes on in politics. Jeez. And now do you went to school for politics? I was, I was a political, I have a, a degree in political science and I completed all the coursework to, towards a master's in uh, political theory wow. and then started a PhD program at NYU in uh, media ecology, which was just kind of another version of political science for kind of communications and culture. I, and then I thought I wanted to teach college, which was why I, I, I did the master's and the, the, and the PhD. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I just, I kind of stumbled into high tech. I didn't even know what it was, but I, I found myself uh, in, in, I think the lesson here is make bold moves. You, you never know how it's going to pan out, do things that scare you. But yeah, I was on a, so I was a, a PhD student at NYU and I was looking for a part-time job and I uh, got connected through another student in the program to this high tech public relations agency. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> what, what, right. high, what, what's public relations? What's high tech? Right. I'm a, I'm a 26 year old or 25 year old career student at this point. Right. I, the only job I'd ever had was bartending and going to school. And, and I went in to interview with this high tech PR agency and they were, they had two clients, Sony and IBM were their They had many others, but those okay. were their two big marquee clients. And it was in the nineties, right. When the internet was starting to become a thing that corporations were paying attention to. Um, and I got so excited when I went in for this interview that, that I, and I, I thought it was for a part-time job and they thought they were interviewing me for a full-time job. <laughs> and, and then I was, you know, was really disappointed that, oh, wow, they, they don't need anybody part-time. I literally went in the next day and quit the PhD program and went back to the agency and said, I hope you're going to hire me because I'm prepared to quit my program to come work here. What about, what about that experience excited you that, that, <laughs> that day? I mean, you shifted hardcore at that moment hard yeah i mean that was it was literally i i you know it was just I, again it was it was i don't know because i didn't even really know what i was hearing through most of the interviews because i i didn't know what public relations was i didn't right. I, I i heard of marketing i kind of knew what marketing was and and i i just it was just it just all seemed so exciting there was a a buzz in the office there were a lot of young people that were working there that i met with and talked with the the things they were doing that they were talking about for for their clients ibm and sony just seemed very exciting I'd been studying in my classes um, the, in, the, the, the fact that corporations were starting to realize that there was a revenue potential that was going to be associated with internet and online because literally the, nothing had happened yet, right? The, right? Mark Andreessen was at school in the University of Chicago inventing the browser, right? That's what right. was happening. Like it was on the cover of Wired while all yeah. this was happening. NetSuite, right? And, it, it, there was, there was no Netscape yet. There yeah. was no Netscape. Netscape 
came into came into formation i think like a year or two later Jeez. and 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 but the professors were all talking about the fact that corporations were going to realize the money making potential here and they were lamenting the fact that it was going to ruin the internet as an educational source and so i literally one week was writing papers railing against corporate america for <laughs> ruining the spirit of free idea exchange on the oh, internet no. and the next week i went to work for the ibm internet division right so it was wow yeah <laughs> that's amazing and to your point make bold moves you you heard something you think it was maybe even the potential you're just like you're hearing like this is the now moment here's yeah. something i need to i need to it's like almost like I don't know what it is, but I need I want to be a part of it. I, 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 that's exactly what it was. It was there was a buzz and an excitement in that office that people were a part of. They were all super excited. the The professors were talking about the fact that it was bad, so it kind of was <laughs> appealing from that perspective. Right. right. You can't <laughs> I, date that person. You know, you, <laughs> you can't go in the military. All these don't do this. And it's like, hmm, maybe I should yeah. check, check that it, out. Uh, exactly. And, you know, I had also, I had realized that I didn't want to teach college. I, I, I was a, an undergrad TA for the semester. Sure. And, you know, I'm just a person that you know, I get bored very quickly. I want things to be changing, moving all the time. And I realized that being a college professor wasn't going to, that wasn't going to be moving, things moving all the time. The opposite. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so cool. You know, the question I had, though, because you had all this study in poli sci, and I mean, I, I don't think I even never took any classes in that. I gotta wonder: did do you do you feel any of those effects in your marketing career and your business career? It, did you get anything from there that you've sort of maybe subtly used and you don't even realize, or maybe intentionally used? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think political science and political theory are hugely applicable to corporate culture. Oh, you cool. just think about all the dynamics that go on. I mean, you know, I spent 10 years at Oracle, uh, you know, a long time ago. Oracle survived. Totally <laughs> I, 10 years is right. I mean, you always ask somebody, how long were you at Oracle? And then you get a true sense of, you know, kind of what they what they were able to, to, to do there. And 10 years is, is a long time. And yeah. big corporate environments like that, you know, not not just Oracle, but you know, been in many other environments as well understanding the motivations of people and what's on their agenda and how they're trying to operate either you know behind the scenes or or in the public face of the company i feel like everything i learned about political theory and and political science and just the the, the demographics of people and personalities and leadership styles set me up very well to be able to navigate those environments that's amazing i would buy your book when you write it about that topic <laughs> That's a a great book idea. You know, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what my book idea is. I've got a couple of candidates. That's a good one. I never thought about that one. Yeah. It's a really good one. Yeah. And and oftentimes, you know, I've had this told to me too, the, um, the unique abilities that we have are often things we just completely disregard and take for granted. It's like, doesn't everyone know that? And yeah, apparently they don't. And so when you mentioned some of these things, I was like, Oh yeah. How would you navigate that? And sometimes the challenges I have is with, you know, influence, influential power versus positional power just the idea mm. of, you know if you can't absolutely control a situation how do you influence the situation and you know i'm not necessarily good at that so it'd be one of those things that i would want to read and understand you know how do you learn more about what people are looking for but i could see how understanding people's motivations then ties back into marketing as well absolutely i mean just from a understand people's motivations perspective there's always something you can align with someone on and so if you understand what's motivating them and you know what your agenda is, figure out where, where's the common ground there and then, and then partner with them on that. 
I'd never heard that before. You, there's always something you can align with someone. There's on. always, always. We're people. In common ground. There's common ground somewhere. Absolutely. Huh. Really interesting. You know, thinking about this whole career and how this is like morphed and shifted, if you were to give advice to yourself at the very beginning of your marketing career, your, your business, PR as well, like, you know, going back to that self that just quit the program and is getting started, what would you tell yourself? What would you advise yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think th there was a lot of uh, angst and hand wringing that went on as I made those decisions. And, yeah. and I, I think I've been relatively bold throughout my career, but I would, you know, I would have told myself, you know, be bolder. What, what else could you do? Because I think, you know, when you're young and you've got a lot of opportunities presented to you, don't be afraid to latch on to them. It's, it's going to work out. And there aren't really a lot of, the only bad decision you can make in those kinds of situations is doing nothing. Right. Right. Just sitting on your hands, the status quo. And I think sometimes people forget that's an option. Like doing yeah, nothing. That's a decision. It's right. It's a decision. You're actually deciding whether you acknowledge it or not to yeah. do nothing. Yeah. So it sounds like your career has been all these different points in time where you've continued to be bold and you would just tell yourself, do that more. It's yeah. It's, I mean, I remember what I moved from, you know, I grew up in Kentucky and I moved from uh, Lexington, Kentucky to Manhattan. When I was <laughs> How, 25. What was that like? Well, and that's, I mean, that's, I think it's a great example of it's, you know, I think I was 25 years old and, and it was absolutely terrifying in the, I, 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 I always said, even from the time I was in middle school, I would say to my parents, I'm going to move to New York or California. Turns out I did both. And, <laughs> but, but in the, and so I got accepted into the PhD program at NYU and just couldn't believe it. It was exciting, exhilarating. But as the months started to tick down to the move, I was absolutely terrified and it would have been so much easier not to go. It would have been so easy not to go. Yeah. Just stay in stay in school and do the, you know, the political thing, maybe not ultimately being happy because you weren't doing the thing that, you know, you would have been great at what you're doing now. Right. So it, you're right. It, it's so yeah. any, any thoughts, how, how do you be bolder? Cause I think, I think Just, you've got bold in spades. So if somebody doesn't really have it. <laughs> well, I think it's less about, you know, you want to make a thoughtful decision, of course. So you have right. to think about it, but then at, at a certain point, make your decision and then stop thinking about it and just do it. It's kind of like exercise, right? I mean, there's always a reason not to go to the gym. And if you just shut off that talk track and go to the gym and you do that, you know, for a couple of weeks in a row, well, then you've got a new habit. It's this exact same mindset and discipline when you're trying to make a bold decision that you're scared of. Make the decision, decide that's what you want to do, have a thoughtful process around that, and then shut off the thinking and just execute it. Right, right. Don't continue the analysis mode ad nauseum. Like, do your thought thinking decide and then commit you know just get into it and don't look back absolutely love that love that where are you going to be at you know actually before we get to that so Sitecore, what what's the latest greatest with that because i i bumped into it I, i'm in new hampshire and i know there's an there's an office and there is yeah what what do you what are you seeing now what are you experiencing with that yeah, I mean, Sitecore has just been, I think I mentioned this already, I, I don't know that I could have found a more perfect fit for me just in terms of the company's technology, which I've got experience in and I'm super passionate about. The company is just on a kind of a rocket ship growth trajectory, so it's really fun to be part of that. We're in a mission critical market at the center of digital transformation, which, you know, as we've talked about, is a kind of a, a, a just a, an imperative that businesses have to go through with. 
And we've got a, a, an amazing group of people on the leadership team. Our, our CEO is, uh, he's very forward thinking. He's, I mean, this is a, a CEO who in less than a year has hired four female C-level executives into the company. I, you know, I, I don't know that you could name another company in, in tech or of our size or, or really many sizes that have, that have made that kind of a bold move from a, from a, a women in tech perspective. So it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be part of his management team and to be just you know, on this ride that Sycor's on. And we're, we're very excited about and committed to helping drive this whole movement towards customer experience, customer first, not only for our own customers, but within our own business. So, so being part of that kind of a, of, of a, a growth and a, and a transformation is just, it's super exciting. Where do you see it going for Sitecore? And, and I, I, I think the sky's the limit, right? I think we've got, we're in a, I think a very fortunate position to be able to decide what our destiny is from a, from a growth perspective. And so we're just focused on continuing to innovate with the technology and transform our business to be more customer first and hire the best people possible and, and hope that our, our results will speak for themselves. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Are you going to be at any events coming up? Anything we should uh, keep our eyes open for? Where am I going to, well, tomorrow there's a great uh, CMO event happening in San Francisco that I'm going to be at, uh, put cool. on by uh, Aventa and, and Gartner. Uh, but yeah, I've got, uh, I've got uh, a couple of, uh, I think, European speaking uh, engagements happening, the big De Mexico show happening in, uh, I think, September. We're doing a couple of uh, customer events in Sydney and Singapore that I'll oh, be nice. attending. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the near term. Singapore is fantastic. You know, I don't think I've done Singapore the right way. I, the, I was yeah. in Singapore for the first time a couple of months ago, and, and I didn't have much time to do much outside of work. And then I watched the movie Crazy Rich Asians as I was <laughs> leaving Singapore, and I thought, wow, I did it wrong. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't see any of that. <laughs> yeah, where was that? Yeah. No, right. So for me, it was a distributor training, and we had some some local – um, team members. And so they were taking us around. And I remember one experience though, was we're in the van with, he, he drove us in his parking garage and then up, up to like the fifth level. And there's this door to a restaurant that wasn't even marked. You walk in and this awesome. is dim sum, you know, massive place, but it's where all the locals were eating. And I couldn't even tell you what it was called or how to find it. It just, it was one wow. of those secrets. And then, you know, on the, on the river at night with all the lights and um, but yeah, so I, it sounds like you need a redo of that. I, well, I'm going to get one. So I, you know, yeah. now I've seen, now I've seen crazy rich Asians. So I know what to do. Oh man. It's going to be very <laughs> dangerous when you get there now. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, cool. Where can people connect with you? What are some of the, you know, LinkedIn, is that a good place? Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty active on social. Um, I think it's a, should be a huge part of any, of any marketer or CMOs, um, engagement. And, you know, just, I think one thing too is LinkedIn I don't know that everyone realizes the potential of it for community engagement from a, from an employee perspective, from a partner and customer perspective. I spend a lot of time thinking about the fact that I've got, you know, I've got a lot of people in my LinkedIn network and from a site core and a thought leadership perspective, what do we want to say to those people on that channel? So yeah, LinkedIn is a, is a, is a big place to reach me. I'm fairly active on Twitter as well. I've also, I've also, I'm also, uh, I've got, uh, I do a, a, some photography on the side just as a hobby. And so I've got a, a website for that as well. So. What's it called? It's uh, pageoneal.com. 
Okay. Very original. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's the best <laughs> name you could have picked. Yeah, uh, exactly. What, uh, what kind of photography? Yeah, you know, it evolves over time. I um, am sure. into kind of, uh, kind of a hybrid of street and travel photography right now. Wow. A lot of traveling, as you would expect, yeah. and just, you know, looking at candid street scenes and interesting stuff. Especially from other countries. It just, yeah. you know, I love because the brands are something you're, you know, you're not familiar with. And it's almost like all the stuff we phase out locally, it all we're now being exposed to it in a different place. And yeah. that, I'll definitely check that out. That, that's, that's fascinating get that, that little snapshot into yeah yeah i just got back from japan and there was a, it was amazing street photography there wow. so what part of japan were you in i was in uh tokyo and kyoto yeah i've been to tokyo yeah. big fan of, of tokyo as well yeah. very different culture it's fascinating yeah. it but, really is yeah did you navigate the subway i did i did i i felt i navigated it quite successfully now have they changed the signs because when i was there many moons ago uh all the um the station names they weren't like transliterated they were just in kanji and so oh uh, yeah you had to sort of uh, the hotel map would have it transliterated so you go oh, oh this is uh you know mm. this station and you map you know count the dots between where you're at to where you need to get off well i i uh read fluent kanji so i didn't have any issue i'm kidding kidding <laughs> <laughs> you almost got me there i was like oh my gosh no, yeah, they well, they've changed that quite substantially, Have they? and okay. pretty much everything is in English on at least the main the main train lines. So it's it's pretty easy to navigate. I'm almost a little disappointed because it was kind of uh, fun standing there with a coworker, just being like, "What?" And then some <laughs> guy came up to us and said, "Are you lost? Do you speak English?" And we were like, "Yes," and yes, <laughs> helped us out. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for coming on here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. You know, I've learned so much from you and um, I literally have two, I've run out of paper (laughs) writing in the margins and everything. Um, And I I get a sense that your approach to LinkedIn is probably something we'd we'd chat about maybe check in at some point later on and and check again and and some of these things that that we could uh, learn more about. But this has been, this has been awesome. Well, thanks so much. And you've given me a great idea for a book. So I need to think about that. Oh, please. And then yeah, sign me up. Yeah, I will pre, yeah. pre-purchase it right now on Amazon. Uh, customer <laughs> so I've, got, I've got my first sale. It's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's market tested now. Perfect. You should totally do it. Exactly. Uh, this is fantastic. So everyone out there listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have because I certainly have, uh, share this with someone else. You know, And, and that's how you and, and everyone listening can become your own thought leader sharing the things that you've learned and the things that we've learned today. So uh, fantastic. Paige, thank you again. Absolutely. Amazing. So this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show, everybody. We will catch you all next time.